for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And tonight we're here to discuss last night's special Super Bowl viewing of This Is Us. This one was called The Super Bowl. This is the the big event that we've all been kind of dreading, knowing is coming, and just kind of on pins and needles to see how it how it all works out. Let's get started with uh, kind of the reverse, what we normally do, which is uh, we normally hit the flashbacks first. We're gonna we're gonna do all of the current timeline stories first, and then go and do the the flashbacks after that. So let's start with Kate, and each of the kids have been sort of set up for us that Kate wallows and feels guilty and awful on this Super Bowl Sundays. We have Kevin, who's the avoider, and Randall, who chooses to celebrate his father's life. And Rebecca, who I would say kind of like quietly... Observes um, it. Yeah. Yeah. Observes is the right word. That's exactly right. Sort of, It's like sort of like a calm but sad way to deal with it. So Kate and Toby have this really, I thought, amazing metaphor for Jack's Yeah, you called existence. it right away. I mean, you saw through it. I mean, you didn't need to rewatch it or anything. It was surprising because you I, you picked up on everything pretty much as we were watching. It. And then you went back later and you found some cool tidbits that I'm hoping you'll share with our audience here because it, it makes Kate's standalone story tie directly into the theme of the entire episode. Yeah. So we have this idea of her sitting and watching that tape that Jack had recorded of her doing her Berkeley music song and she apparently listens to this and and specifically watches his face in the mirror watching her sing the song and this is her you know big cathartic moment that she goes through each year and and she does point out that it is the 20 years that we all had been you know doing our math to figure out the thing that was so fascinating about this is how they treat the tape and the idea that it is the symbol of jack it basically gets eaten unexpectedly by the VCR. Let me just chime in here with a bit of tech support uh, minutia and just say that this is highly true. <laughs> what was it? Two summers ago, Caroline yeah. and I were in charge of resurrecting a bunch of old tapes from a bag in the back of someone's closet for a 90th birthday. And wouldn't you just bet that every cotton picking VCR tape that we put in there got eaten. I mean, it was just like one after the other, just chomp, 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 chomp. It was the scariest. And we've had that exact experience that Kate had of that, like, no, you hear the sound. You're like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Unplug it. Like anything. But here's the thing, Paul, a household appliance basically kills Jack's memory. No. It's like the crockpot all over again. That's where it starts. Right. Right. So then they they go and uh, Toby has a guy who he's going to take him to who's essentially like the hospital for VCRs. Right. He's the tape doctor. He is like the surgeon. And so he's back there. And basically the plan is that they're going to they're going to cut the tape and they're going to like put the pieces back together again. Well, guess what? As we later learn and Spoiler alert, I assume you've watched this episode. <laughs> Jack has what they call a Widowmaker's heart attack in that 
The way that you fix that, if you have the opportunity to fix such a thing, is that one of the main arteries is clogged. And what you have to do is cut it and like put this stint in and then repair it. Like a splice. Of the videotape, right? Right, yeah. So we have this whole scene of Toby and Kate sitting in what appears to be like the VCR waiting room, but all of their interactions and all of their mannerisms are so similar to being in the waiting room of the hospital. And she's saying, I don't want it to go in the cloud, a.k.a. heaven, right? Right. And she's like, I don't want him to be in the cloud. I, I want him on to- On the cloud. She says on, and, and Toby keeps correcting her in kind of that obnoxious, lovable Toby way. Right. That tech support kind of way. It's like, right. move, I'll fix it. Right. So, yeah. So, and Toby says, you know, why don't we just make a new video with new memories, which that seemed like a real clunker suggestion. Right. Tobe. Really? On. Well, someone is like in surgery. You're like, why don't we make a new someone? Right. You're like, right. what are you doing? So she, she actually does reveal everything about how she felt like, you know, he didn't want to disappoint her. And that's how, you know, she's been walking around with this guilt about the fire and all of Jack's actions during it. You know, I feel like this was the moment that they'd really been waiting for to get that permission to be able to get married. Because if you remember, there was an episode uh, when Toby says, basically, if you can't talk to me about your dad, I don't feel like we should be moving forward and getting married. Yes. So finally, I feel like we've broken that, which means I suspect the rest of this season will be wedding full force because we will have finally broken that that issue down if you were kate would you carry this burden on your shoulders is she justified in feeling that she killed her dad i want to talk about kate during the flashback but we can totally talk about her now Kate as a character from day one, I felt very connected to. I felt like, you know, she's around my age. I completely understand the idea of feeling like you're not as in control of your weight or your eating or anything as you would like to be. Completely understand that. I'm not to the extent as Kate is, but I understand struggling and sort of being mad at yourself about like, God dang, you know, I thought I had this under control and then not. So I really understand. However, there have been some moments in the last season or so that have really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And sometimes it's just, you know, small things where she comes off a little too whiny or a little too complainy or a little too whatever. And it, it's just a little like it's the difference between like a 10 and a 10 and a half or something. But it's just enough that it's like layered on for me that in this particular part, when I know she's only 17, but she is like, she's not just scared and upset during the fire. She is like almost equivalent to throwing like a tantrum. Like she's, she's hysterical like, about the dog. Yeah. But just every, even inside the room before the dog was even brought up, he's putting the blanket around her head and she's like throwing her head back. And like, it is like watching a toddler cry. Now, I understand fully, you guys, that this would be a horrific situation. I cannot imagine how scared you would be. But she's 17. And it just seems a little like, would you be like, oh, my God, Dad, what do I do? Tell me what to do. Not like, <laughs> like that. No, like, the no, I don't like that girl. I don't relate to that girl. So that like one moment was just like, oh, man, I, I don't really get you. So that set me up to really be like, Kate, I kind of do dislike how you really pushed him into doing what he did, I feel. Now, do I think that the extent of his injuries 
were because of some of the things he did, his actions once he went in there? Yes. Yes. Fully. So I don't know. How did you feel? Do you feel like Kate is justified in feeling like she really pushed him into going to get that dog? I've been thinking about that all day. Sadly, I didn't really come to like a very strong conclusion because yes, it's her dog. He had second thoughts, but he heard the barking. He saw her crying and he and he made his call. You know, I love dogs, so I don't know if I'd be right minded in that event. Either. I would have screamed at you like you have never heard me scream before to get your ass off that roof. I would have been climbing up the pole to grab your leg to say, under no circumstance are you going to go into a flaming building over a, a mutt that we found on the side of the road. I love dogs too. We have had dogs. We've had six dogs throughout our marriage, loved every one of them, but I would have slapped my hand over Kate's mouth and said, shut your freaking mouth. Get down here, Jack. This is life and death. And um, your life is more important than the dog. Well, like, and there's no way I would have allowed this. I mean, they could have kicked in the front or back door. You could, you right? could have done both quickly. I, I mean, mean right I know away. you're not supposed to do that, but the dog would have figured it out from there. <laughs> right? And apparently, I mean, like, that's the reason why in natural disasters, like in, in this happens down in Texas, because we have hurricanes and stuff, they like unhook the horses and they open the barns and stuff like so that animals will run and be safe. Like they have much better survival instincts than we do. Much better because we like rationalize stuff and try to use logic and they just do go pure primal. Right. Dogs don't go back for their videotapes. And... No, but that's the thing. I don't really believe that it was the dog that killed him. I don't really think that. I think it was he had to take the time to get that pillowcase, to get her necklace, to go dig through the entertainment center, get the videotapes, get the baby book. I mean, that is where the really the rubber meets the road in terms of like how long was too long. If I'm you know? Kate, I'm not seeing that part. I'm just seeing he went back when he heard the barking. And so, I mean, right. being, I mean being, I since I'm Kate now and I'm kind of victimy anyway, I guess I would I would carry it around like I killed dad, I think. Oh, I definitely would. 150 percent. think it was 150 percent my fault. But that's the thing. I didn't like her. I didn't like or understand her behavior in this thing. I, I understand crying. I understand crying out about the dog. I do. But I mean, I, I have a dad. You have a dad. You could be crying about Grimmy. I could be crying about Dudley. But if my dad turned his back and started to go in, I would scream, no, dad, no. Do not go. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sacrifice my father for it. You know, he went pretty fast. I mean, and there was no one up there anymore. So he just did. Rebecca it. was yelling. No, I mean, he he came to the edge, looked, went back, looked, went back. I mean, he did it like several times. And because of her nonstop carrying on again, I'd have knocked her down to the grass and said, Go call the go call the freaking nine one one of the neighbors. You need something to do, you know. Like <laughs> quit your hooting. I, I mean, really, I would. I I guess you know we have been in emergency situations, and I don't do this. You've seen me in emergency situations. I don't put my head back and howl like Snoopy the dog. No, like, I don't do that, and neither do you. And so then it, it's a little. Hard to relate. I know I'm not 17 years old, but you knew me at 17 years old. So No, you were a pretty cool customer. That's for sure. I think I would have been a hard ass during. I would have broken down and cried my eyes out after. But I think like that survival instinct would have kicked in in such a way that I wouldn't have just stood there weeping like 
like I said, more tantrum-y, not just like sad, but like, I, I just, I can't even explain. It's like, she shouldn't be going off to college in a couple of months. I can tell you that much. She's not ready <laughs> for the freaking world because she's not, I mean, I don't know. This is a really, really hard one for me because I'm not angry at Kate as like a character overall, but I'm, I'm, I'm annoyed by some of these, like what they have started to make her like her little quirks. And her little quirks, like how they've showed Randall has little quirks and Kevin has little quirks. And I'm liking their quirks. And they're actually like turning me around for all their stuff all the time. Even if it's something negative, I'm like, oh, but I like how they did that. But her little quirks kind of come off negative for me. Do you understand? What, like, do you well, know? Well, I know, I know you don't. Um, people with victim mentalities do not carry much traction with you just as a person. Like you shed them as friends. You don't need to hang around with that. Well, and so, Kate, I mean, that's her whole thing, right? I guess. I don't know. It was too much for me. Like that that whole portion. I, I just I so disliked how she was handling that that whole portion. The but whole the good thing. news is the way it ends, similar to Kevin's Super Bowl day, is that she kind of finds a new way to think about the whole thing, you know? Um, yeah. She's okay with it being on the cloud. She can break her tradition and she can include Toby and she can talk about it and not freeze up. And so there was some growth moments. There I agree wholeheartedly. The and I definitely think that like the parts that Toby brought to the equation was actually like in many ways, like you don't have to just keep him on a tape in your cabinet to bring out on Super Bowl Sunday. If we put it in the cloud, then you can bring it up on your laptop or your phone or whatever anytime you want. It's sort of like he almost like included. He took Jack like off the shelf and brought him like into there every day. And that's like a lot of what she described to him. Like, you know, you are actually bringing Jack to me every day. Your characteristics, your way that you talk with to me, the way that you're patient with me, the way you love me is so similar to my dad that it's like you do bring him back to me, you know, and then and he did that very literally in this sequence for her. Good old Tobe. I've, I've really come around on Tobe. He had some he had some um, unenviable lines to have to deliver in this one that was sort of like, ooh, yeah, he had, a, he had a few you know? thuds. Uh, yeah, because but... it just wasn't a funny time or a funny episode. I mean, he maintained who he was as a character. And obviously within the show, I mean, Toby hasn't been hyped that it's Super Bowl Sunday and blah, blah, blah like we have, you know. Yeah. And so we're all ready for like serious storyline. I mean, Toby just being regular old Toby. You know, he's making his snacks and, you know, like just talking like he normally talks. But that was like not acceptable no. for this episode for us. You know, totally not. Speaking of a guy who is completely acting like it's a happy day and like isn't going to bend to the sadness of the situation. We have Randall, our celebratory guy. Yeah, he's parading around the kitchen and singing little songs, referring to himself in the third person. He and Beth are having that awesome banter that they have. I've heard your, it's not your complaints. You're giving me like secondhand complaints of people on the internet saying that actually Beth is just kind of walked all over by Randall. He's just always, you know, type A all over her face. And, <laughs> and I can see that, but... If she didn't like it, I think she would say something. Well, I mean, I, I agree. It is it is not my point of view. It's something that I've read and, and talked to other people about who have kind of a problem where like, if you try to look at the situation very objectively and you say, here's a guy who wants to throw a Super Bowl party, 
No one else in his house wants to have a Super Bowl party. No one. But he's like forcing everyone to have a Super Bowl party. And he's like corralled them in a way that it's like they don't have a choice. They have no choice. They well, have to have a party. Guess what, girls? He's been doing this, I bet, for several years. I so, agree with you. I'm uh, just saying that other people, like I said, that program. I've talked to have, have sort of been like, I just don't like it that he doesn't seem to listen when Beth says like, I'm not comfortable with this. I don't want to do this. He's sort of like, and we're doing it. And he does a funny dance and he's like real cute about it. I don't personally, you know, I, I don't subscribe to this. I feel like, you know, like you said, Beth has a strong, independent voice. If she truly didn't want to do it, she wouldn't do it, you know? Yeah. And I, I get out of shit all the time if I dance. He <laughs> <laughs> rarely dances. No, I do not. You know, going back to that sort of like the metaphors and the little symbolism and whatnot. Oh, it was very uncomfortable to have Randall dance around the kitchen going, hot dad, hot dad, when Jack is, you know burning well, what in a did fire his, what did his uh apron say on it something dad right was it hot dad or was it some probably. other lame dad kind of thing yeah, it was probably hot dad i think it was like a barbecue you okay. know thing so yeah probably hot dad probably makes it but it, but you see what i'm saying it had flames yeah, oh, on it yeah yeah it had flames on the apron and I mean, he was saying hot dad in in the context of his own super bowl party it's fine. No big deal. Yeah, but no, in the context of this cute. episode. But when you're yeah. flashing back to Jack, you know, having his hand burned up on the mattress, that's, you know. And, and you hard. already have Kate's uh, segment rich with metaphor. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, you can start to take See, okay. little things like that. One part that is has got me super duper curious and... And we've been discussing this in the only the last couple of episodes, really since the therapy episode. You and I have really been discussing the concept of who is the narrator of this story and does the narrator change? And if memories are all subjective and all of the things we're being shown in flashback are a memory, whose memories are they? And this is something that I brought up on one of the chat rooms and, and people were sort of like, wait, what about it? Like they were, they were like, I don't know, because everyone was right on board with like memories are subjective. Everybody's got their own point of view. Blah, blah. And I'm like, well, then whose point of view is, say, Jack's death being told through? And it's like, well, we think it's probably Rebecca's. Right. So then here's the thing. I wonder if we were told Jack's death truly through Kate's eyes, would she have sounded like that whiny, tantrumy kid? Or was that notice like Randall was like a non-component in it? Yeah. Well, Randall should have been at the neighbors. But here's the thing. That's how Rebecca would have seen him. He would have never been a problem. Right? Because that's like Rebecca's whoopee, you know? Oh, yeah. So but I'm Kate saying, would be whiny. But Kate would be standing out to her as annoying and like saying things and doing stuff that would like grate on her. And, and it was sort of presented that way, at least from my point of view. But anyway, the reason why I re really bring it up is because in Randall's storyline, the idea of third person Randall gets brought up. And the idea mm. of having... Like a narrator to your own life. Uh-huh. Mm. And I find that fascinating because I want to bring this up as, a, as an overall, but but I'm going to bring it up right now. Within this storyline, the creator said that that we, I'm not going to quote this exactly, so please don't don't bite my heads off, people. Basically, that it would change the, the axis in which we view the family. Okay? Okay. I believe that was the wording. Yeah. Okay. Why that's interesting to me is because we're talking about this idea of who's the narrator, who's the point of view, whatever. Well, guess what, Paul? We don't really know who this is being told through. And because of where Randall's story goes, the story actually backs up and is starting to include generations that 
we weren't really counting on caring about and paying attention to their long-term stories, right? Yeah. What if it's like Kevin's kid who's telling the story? You know, like we don't we don't know. And I feel like as as we're like backing off and backing off and backing off, we're including other people in the story in different generations of the Pearsons. I kind of wonder where we're going with this, you know, and the idea of third person Randall is like, oh, I just feel like we're dipping our toe, you know, totally different kinds of stories. But think of Star Wars, right? The first three came out. It was Luke Skywalker's story. Right. Right. Then they put out the prequels and you realize, oh, this is actually Darth Vader's story. Mm -hmm. And then they put out the new trilogy and then you're like, oh, this is this is Darth Vader's family's story. Right. (laughs) You know, and then there's supposed to be three more after that. You know, so who knows? And I think that you're right. It's like backing the camera up and up and up and up and up. Right. Yeah. Take like one step back and like include like, well, who else was involved in that part and that part and that part? Yeah. And different players come and go. Mm hmm. And their importance waxes and wanes. I mean, who would have thought there was a there would be a point in in Star Wars when Han Solo wouldn't be necessary anymore? Right. Again, that does play into the flash forward that I'm a little bit nervous about on that front about people coming and going. But let's talk about you know what is going on at the Super Bowl party. We have this this introduced pet, ill-advised which, pet. Which I think is super interesting because, of course, in the flashback story, we're dealing with a pet. And the love of a pet and losing Mm. a pet, right? And like how a dad's going to act in dealing with the pet, right? Super interesting that in one story, the father is sacrificed for the pet. In the other story, the pet dies. The mom kills him. Mr. McGiggles died at the hands of Beth. Not the hands, the feet. (laughs) (laughs) That part when she goes, Mr. McGiggles isn't giggling anymore. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. That was so Funny. But anyway, I mean, I do think that there's some sort of parallel there. You know, yeah. you've got a pet and a dad and a pet and a dad. One scenario, pet lives, dad dies. The other scenario, pet dies, dad lives. So I do think that that's interesting. It's a little cycle of life kind of business. Um, the whole eulogy that Randall has to give. And he's like, <laughs> I, I thought it was interesting. You know, he, he was sort of trying to, you know, warn us that it's like, you know, um, the idea of it, of of I think him saying, when you wake up with a dull pain and it wakes you up, I think Jack woke up with a dull pain. I think there was Mm. something going on in his chest. It was a dull pain. It wasn't something that you think you have to do something about right away, but it's something that wakes you up from your sleep and you're like, ah, that hurt and felt weird. I feel that is what was going on with Jack the night of the fire. He woke up because something in his chest hurt or tightened. And... He goes on to say, like, you know, that it it's it's moves on to this sudden lightning bolt. And, you know, the way that you think of a lightning bolt, it strikes you down. It strikes you dead from God, right? Has God kill you with a lightning bolt? Strikes you dead. And so he describes this idea of like waking up with this dull pain and it twisting into this lightning bolt of pain that's just like striking you, right? Randall has often been the instrument of of single out of place sentences or you know things like that that relate to his dad that any of his dads that kind of tie together that if you strung them together they would tell probably a larger story specifically um like we were we've been re-watching season one Mm -hmm. and he yells at william you're not going to go die when no one's looking 
Right. You know, yep. I, t- I tweeted that last night. No one bit. No one remembered really? that. Yeah. It was, oh, God, that sticks out so hardcore, you know, and, yeah, I, and it was always like, oh, God, he's going to die alone. Remember, I kept telling you, I can't believe Jack's going to die alone. After after Randall said that, I was like, oh, my God. But I couldn't figure out how or why. How or why would he die alone? You know, how would this work? Or maybe, you know, the moment when he's um, uh He's accidentally done mushrooms and he's helping his hallucinated dad up on the roof, you know, makes you wonder maybe, you know, the way that he was so inert during the whole emergency, maybe he himself bears some like, I should have, I should have done more to help dad than I did, you know? And so I like that. Maybe he bears some, some guilt that he 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 like uses a, a a paint roller on Super Bowl Sunday of joy to be like uh I'm not thinking about that I'm I'm doing my happy dance you know Yeah because when you think about it I mean really during the fire and like you know even like the escaping of the house and stuff like Randall just feels very like a non-factor like yes he was an additional person but he could have been like a like an extra it wasn't actually like Randall and like how Randall you know, might sees himself. Yeah. Or whatever. So, so it was kind of interesting, but I thought that again, in the eulogy, he had a lot of really good, good lines that were like preparing us the whole part. We didn't know we'd never see him again. He's talking about Mr. McGiggles, you know, and he has that flash to his, to Jack, you know, and he, and he explains everything about, you know, he was a rock solid lizard and all this stuff. Like it was so funny. Yeah. I feel like, you know, there was a, there was so much going on with that. And guess what? Mr. McGiggles dies in the kitchen. Mm. Fire starts in the kitchen. So I love Beth cutting it off and being like, who wants to watch the puppy bowl pregame? <laughs> that was like awesome. And it's very Beth. You were the one that commented on Beth's wardrobe this, this episode. Well, I, I know that right now the cold shoulder sweater is like, the thing. It may not be the thing next year, but this year it is the thing. And Beth's cold shoulder, it was a asymmetrical cut where it went into her neckline and then back out to her shoulder. And I thought that was just the shit, man. Really? He was like, <laughs> she is winning the cold shoulder game. And I'm like, you are so right. You have no idea. People are, it's the Bloomingdale's y'all sells it, that exact shirt. So if you're like looking for it, that's where people have found it. And it is, oh man, you're right. I think she is chic as hell. And I think that's why there's so much to her that I just really... I think she's just such a classic, cool girl. You know, she has her flaws and she has a very realistic, I think, relationship with Randall and that it has its ups and downs. But she just really, I don't know, she has so much flair, you know? Yeah, sure. So then we have Tess freaking out and running upstairs. And then we have this entire conversation with with Tess. How did you feel about the fact that basically a lot of what Kevin said came throwing back through Tess now? Because Kevin yelled at him about like, you know, you brought that guy into your house. You brought these foster kids into your house. It's like you don't even want to be with the people you have. That would be hard to hear from your kid for sure, especially since there's no way that the Kevin talk would have filtered back to your kid. So it would start to be like, hey, wait a second. Two people said that to me. But Randall's so, you know, in his head most of the time that I don't know if it would penetrate exactly because he he found a way to rationalize it, say some cool Randall stuff. And by the end of it, Tess is like, "Okay, fostering's cool. It was interesting because I'm not sure that I completely absorbed what her point was. And I have rewatched the show a couple of times and she's a kid. And and so maybe she doesn't have a fully formed point. But it did seem like it maybe made him say some things like I kind of drew out some things, but I didn't know exactly what she was trying to say to him because 
I get what she was trying to say, but but you're right. She kind of drew a different conclusion. So like she's sitting there saying, you seem to be trying to replace us or have this these new things, which implies you don't like your old things, us, mom, our home, your job, whatever. But yet you're right. She comes around and is sort of like, no, fostering's great. And I'm totally cool. And like, I loved William and like, uh, you know, like all her, all his choices, she basically validated so then it was sort of like, huh, I'm not quite sure exactly what you were upset about then. Exactly. I don't really know. But I thought it was really cool how they wove through that story, those scenes of the little boy. Who we had seen episodes ago. When Deja went home, uh, they showed us a clip of the little boy. So, of course, we'll start turning like, okay, so he's the next foster kid. Especially because multiple times Randall's like, we need a boy. We need a boy up in here. We need a boy. We need a boy, you know? Yes. And it turns out that, you know, Tess has opted to keep the landline off the hook, which again, this is a little fuzzy for me because she says she took the landline off the hook because that's the only line that the caseworkers use or the social workers. And then Randall's like, so you don't want to foster? And she's like, no, I love fostering. And it's sort of like, wait, wait, wait. I, I still don't really get it. I still am unsure what was Tess upset about exactly. And what what was this about? I still don't know. I don't know if there'll be an additional conversation about this or if this is just over now. But I thought it was fascinating how they followed up with that little boy who I thought surely was going to be named Jack and turned out to be named Jordan. So very close. When they show him like, okay, she's she's this the social worker is getting him ready for the new parents who are coming in. The parents come in and they're white. And it was like, oh, okay, All right. So this little boy's going with them. But okay, so this is sort of like a little black boy's going with like white parents like, oh, okay, I get like this cycle. I get this like (laughs) little cycle. Right. And then the secretary comes in and is like, oh, hey, your dad's here. And then. Freaking Randall with other glasses comes on, and I'm like, "What?" I did not absorb that he looked older. That is oh, the strangest thing. Yeah, no, but in the, I know, I know. Upon rewatch, durr. But when I was watching it, and I'm then I'm I'm grappling with everything that happened with Jack, and I'm thinking about everything that was going on. I absorbed. Why is Randall wearing those weird glasses? <laughs> That's like what I saw, you know. And then he's and like, they were hey, calling Tess. the woman Tess, right? As soon as she says, "Hey, Tess," I'm like, "Oh my god!" And you're like, "This is a future shot," and I was like, "The hell." Like, you got me good. This is, like I said, where I think we're getting that whole change the axis on which you view the family. Like, yeah, we that's thought the part. it was just about Rebecca and Jack or Rebecca and Jack and their three kids. But now it's like three generations solid now, you know, and and within Tess's room is that framed piece of artwork that Kevin had painted. Kevin has an entire explanation for death and and how he tries to explain it is basically that uh, life is full of color. And, and the idea is that each, each one of us is a color in this painting. Okay. And we get to come along and we get to add our own color to the painting. And even though it's not very big, the painting, you sort of have to figure that it goes on forever in every direction. And so it was this idea that like, you're still a color on the painting. And it was an abstract painting that they show. It's like kind of a Jackson Pollocky splatter thing. But you are a part of the this bigger picture that your color matters, you know, but the colors keep going on top of each other and on top of each other and layering and layering and layering. That's why I'm saying, is this Kevin's son who is like telling us this stuff? Right. I don't know. I feel like Kevin has got to come back around to Kevin somehow in my heart. I don't know why. He wasn't my favorite dude. And, and Randall stands out as like the guy. But somehow 
because Kevin has like nothing right now, he's got no partner, no kids, no whatever. He's got the furthest to go. We can go a lot of story, a lot of seasons with him before we got to that point. Going back to my Star Wars analogy, each trilogy has its own point of view character. You know, like the main one is Luke Skywalker right in the middle, right? And in the beginning, you might say Anakin Skywalker, but I would say Obi-Wan Kenobi is the uh, main point of view in the in the in the prequel and then looks like ray is probably the the person in the next one and and so applying that to this is us it may be that rebecca is the pov for the majority of the flashbacks and as her story kind of tapers old rebecca is not as fully developed as she was when she was younger you know, absolutely. she has baggage and a backstory and all that kind of stuff, but she doesn't really get that much screen time. But that's you know? partially what makes me when you say it's her point of view. I do not think it is because I think it's somebody's point of view who knew Rebecca or was told Rebecca's memories from a certain period of time, which those people who could have told about Rebecca's younger self best as opposed to her older self would be probably Kevin, Kate or Randall. Probably one of those three, because that's when you would best know your mom. You would remember like her day to day. You would remember so much of her characteristics where they don't, you know, they don't have that same relationship. So as it tapers, Rebecca doesn't know herself less as she goes. Mm -hmm. But somebody who passed on these memories in some way knew that chunk of Rebecca. Well, then I'm voting for Randall since we saw him in the flash forward and he's the most developed character. At this point, but it's only season two and we're only halfway through season two. And we know this is going to go at least five years maybe seven. So I think that the, I think they're, they're going to develop him, his character and his kids and his family first, but I don't think that's where the ending is. This is such a great TV show. I mean, in a lot of ways, it resembles Lost in the structure, you know, in the way that, that the first season of Lost, it had the plane crash, it had a little bit of smoke monster, and it had a hatch. You know, that was the whole premise of the first season that J.J. sold ABC on was what about an island with a hatch? You know, if you think about like this, this was sold. Who who knows what it was sold with? It was probably sold with like, you know, you're going to you're going to find out this family. It's going to be told in this kind of segmented kind of way. And it's going to be very cool. But then it then it gets deeper as it as it goes through time and. By the end of Lost, I mean, it was wild and crazy and all over the place, right? Right. And I, I hesitate to compare it to Lost. This isn't going to, this isn't, I mean, feelings. this is, no, no, this is a much more contained story, but the idea of it expanding beyond way what you thought you were getting into mm-hmm. when you, when you first tuned in, I think that applies. I, you know, I think that there's definitely other stories where, you know, you start off with little chunks and pieces. I don't know. I would say to me, in my own memory banks, like like Pulp Fiction was probably one of the first movies that I can really remember being told in like segments to where by the end, spoiler alert, you realize that like everybody was related in some way. People you thought were completely not connected to one another absolutely played a part in each other's stories. And the stories were were much wider and bigger than those little chunks that you thought you knew was happening, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, that, that there's something to that type of storytelling that like, you're almost always going to end up with somebody else, whoever you thought was like the main guy sort of doesn't turn out to necessarily be the main guy. There turns out to be like either a bunch of main guys or or changes completely from beginning to end. Because if we thought Jack was the main guy. Turns out he's Vinny Vega. And then now as we've been getting developed into the second season, you're saying you think Randall's the main guy. 
then I'm just telling you, there's no way that we just went one hop and then nobody changes again and we make it all the way to the end with Randall still being the main guy. There's got to be other hops that go on that other people become the main guy somehow. Mm-hmm. So this will be interesting. I, I look forward to it. But let's talk about Kevin since I, I said that I really thought that Kevin might very well be endgame in this or at least an offspring of Kevin's in some form or fashion. So we have uh, that really funny conversation about like how they handle the ri- ritual of the day between Rebecca and Kevin. I loved it when Kevin's like, I get blackout drunk and then I look for the hottest model I can sleep with. And he's like, what about you? And she's Rebecca's like, same. <laughs> I was like, oh, that yeah. might have been the funniest line they've given Rebecca in a long time. You know? Yeah, that was a good one. I thought that was solid. What do you think about Rebecca's ritual about making Jack's lasagna and watching the game? That's probably pretty close to what something I might do. You know, I'm not I don't know how to make lasagna, but the the concept of kind of just repeating this comfort, like I said earlier, observance of of the event. It's uh, a little funny to me only because of the idea that Kate is like on her number one hit list about food. And it's all about comfort food. So the idea that she would be having a really sad day and the way she handles it is she eats Yeah, it was just a day. Food. You can't take her to the ice cream shop when she's sad. You can't. I mean, you know, I mean, she's she's kind of like and maybe maybe she relented. Maybe that's the maybe that's her twist is that she finally says, no, when you're sad, it is OK to sit here and eat your favorite lasagna. You know, Jack's favorite lasagna, really. So what did you think about Kevin's day and how it actually ran through? Do you remember some of the things he tried to sort of like form a ritual there? Because all he really had ever done was avoid. So it seemed like he was actually trying to create some sort of ritual for himself. This was the episode that I had been looking forward to in the Kevin arc. Whatever you're talking about with stuff he tried, I don't remember any of that. What I remember is that him he wound up at the tree and he talked to his dad and he had a moment where he said... Out loud for his dad and the rest of us to hear, I purposely don't think about you today and I really don't think about you most of the time. And that has gotten me with a life that I can't be proud of and you wouldn't be proud of either. And he says all this meaningful stuff that that's the stuff that I wanted him to have said with the doctor, you know, Babs and, and, uh, he didn't, but now he is saying it. So now I'm, I'm thinking Kevin, he says, bear with me, but he's going to keep, he's going to try, he's going to do better. And I believe him. I, I think he is going to stumble, (laughs) but he is going to try too. And what I was taking note of is that he actually had like a really tiny mini little progress thing during this. Like, so what he starts off doing is whitening his teeth. So he starts mm. off by like cosmetically trying to alter what he looks like to look better, right? Yeah. And the second thing he does is sort of meditation, sort of yoga, sort of like that. But again, sort of like physically trying to alter what he's doing, right? Yeah. Still not hitting the button. So then he gets out the memory box and thinks, well, maybe I can just like kind of look at some, you know, some of these little mementos and stuff like that. Still not hitting the spot. Realizes, no, I've got to actually go to my dad. I've actually got it like that's like the deep dive that he did. He started off at this really shallow, like you really think you're going to just make it through the day by like whitening your teeth and stuff like that was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're showing it. But it makes sense to him. Right. Like, it's like, I don't want to go anywhere. I'm just going to scratch the surface and then go a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper. And you're right. That conversation when he first walked up to the train, he was like, hey, dad, he says it in this really soft voice that I thought that uh, Justin Hartley's delivery was fantastic it really like broke your heart that he was so 
open and and that everything he said, you know, I treated you terribly. The last words we said were awful. You know, I'm so sorry for not being there. Although in hindsight and like plenty of discussion could be had on this, the fact that he wasn't there saved his life. Very much. Yeah. And and Jack would have definitely run down to go get him, too. So it's sort of like, oh, like, I don't I don't know that you have to walk around with the guilt that you weren't there. I mean, he yeah, had that do, broken leg in the basement. The I mean, only regret would be the the what he said to his dad and how he'd been treating him leading up to that would probably be enough to do what Kevin did, which was just avoid thinking about the whole thing forever um, or at least 20 years. And I think because he was physically separated from the event, he was able to mentally and emotionally separate from the event. Because he doesn't have the visuals the way that everybody else does. You know, he never saw the house on fire. Yeah. He didn't see his dad in the ambulance. He didn't see his dad run out of the building, you know, like any of those things. So it'd be like so much easier for him to just be like, I don't have any I don't have any recollection of that stuff. So he doesn't he doesn't have that same trauma, you know. Right. The whole thing with like leaning against the tree and everything. Do you remember that book, um, The Giving Tree? Do you remember that? It's like a little kid book. The Shell Silverstein. Yeah. It really reminded me so much of that book because he was like leaning against the tree. And if you guys don't remember, the concept is that this this boy has this tree and basically the tree keeps giving and giving and giving and giving until he literally has nothing left. The boy, like, you know, you can use, you can eat my apples. You can use my leaves. You can use my branches. You can cut down my thing. You can sit on my stump even. And like, that's where it sort of ends is like, he has given like everything he possibly has to Kevin. And what's Kevin doing? Like sitting and leaning on him. Like that's how it basically ends with the giving tree. Spoiler alert. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So I felt like that that's like a really sweet book about the idea of just like the selflessness of of Jack and of a parent, you know, and, and how much that he had he had given and Kevin really acknowledging all of that. So you're right. Thought Kevin had amazing growth in this one. And it really seemed like his relationship with Rebecca healed a million times over. You know, they really started to seem to have a bond. You know, they related to one another in in a, a variety of ways. The sooner he gets over the idea that uh, who he was and who he is now and the, the big disparity between kind of that's just the way he perceives himself, the sooner he'll be able to kind of, you know, crawl out. And, and he has in this episode, he talks to his mom. He doesn't mention anything uh, too I thought weird. it was wonderful that he actually called her. That I mean, that's not even something that that typically I feel like he would have done, especially from like Jack's grave like that, you know, or, or whatever I want to say, like memorial site type thing. So the the idea that like he called her and she's like, where are you? And, and he's and he told her where, where he was. And she was like, how is that? You know, and they like actually talked. Yeah. I don't get the idea that they had conversations like that. Probably not. You know, and so this was, again, like a lot of healing, a lot of healing. The the portion, too, of, um you know, the idea that every year Rebecca like waits for this sort of belly laugh moment that Jack offers to her from from the universe, you know? Yeah. What did you think that she basically chalked it up to like Kevin's one liner of like, I'm not really sure I'm at the right tree. It's good enough. I mean, uh, signs from beyond aren't always going to be completely obvious signs, you know, they're going to be subtle things. So, yeah, that's. That would work for me. Well, and it's pretty literal, actually. I mean, Jack did give her Kevin, you know? And so, like, in many ways, there is sort of that feeling of, like, you know, I needed healing. I needed to keep healing. And this year, like, I'm healing with you. And Jack gave you to me. And so there's, like, sort of that 
sort of like tie, you know? It's a little bit of a stretch compared to the song on the radio that she describes, but you know, <laughs> it doesn't have that same coincidental type feeling, you know, or whatever. Right. But it definitely, I don't know. I think I think it was really, really important for those two to finally have a moment where there's no more. I mean, I don't see there can't be any more like animosity at all with like Randall and Kevin, and you know, like all of that should be like buried now, you know. None of that you're the favorite kind of nonsense. Yeah, hopefully it's done. So that just leaves one more part to talk about. Yeah, the hardest part, really, I thought. So I guess let's just start off right at the cold open. We had the volume turned up so we could hear the little rumble. Um, If you don't have big speakers, I don't know if you could hear it exactly, but there was a, a rumble like you would expect from at least movies with fires in them. And Jack wakes up. Now, you've watched this a couple times. And you're convinced he woke up on his own and then figured out that there was a fire. I really think so, because I, I, to me, I feel like he woke up uncomfortable. Like as soon as he woke up, he seemed like, he, you know, he reached for the glass of water. He uh, sort of like rolls his eyes around. He seems very kind of, um, you know, disoriented more than you would even think about just sort of like waking up in the night. Like he looks uncomfortable, like something is bothering him. Like you might wake up after a bad dream or something like that, you know? Heartburn. Right. Something, whatever. So, and I do think that it's, it's some sort of precursor to this, to the heart attack. I think that there's some sort of dull pain in his chest, something that's bothering him. That is a typical symptom that you would have before having the heart attack. I could feel my hands burning when he was moving oh the God. mattress trying to shield Kate from the fl- from the flames uh what would you have done would you have handled that way when he picked up the mattress I literally thought he was going to throw the mattress out for them to jump out the window onto the mattress I kind of thought something like that too I never had the idea that he was going to use it as a shield so what did you think of that what, what would you have done any of the way that he handled the entire like evacuation portion uh since they had the eaves on the second for the first floor, you know, with, over the porch, for, mm-hmm. and especially for Kate's window, I think is the one that was right above the the family room. I think. Um, uh, you're thinking? No, he he says your window is too high. So I don't, I don't know. What you're, what oh, you're okay. Going so with that's that. Randall's window that they go out, or no, the master they, they window. Go out the master window. Okay. So Randall's like sort of the the sort of they act like it's sort of at the end of the hall, like it's closest to the master, and then. Kate's across, so she's like she faces the backyard. Okay, so then her window wasn't really a very good option. That's why I really thought they were going to jump, and that's why I really thought like, oh man, I was right about this breaking of the neck or something, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean the 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 wet towel thing and all that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think I think I with any of our kids, I would have done my best to to use whatever adrenaline I have, stick them over my shoulder and, and plow ahead. So you wouldn't have thought to use the shield mattress? No, I'd have gone fast. Tried to go fast rather than absorb the damage. Yeah. I don't, I thought that was clever and I I don't think I would have, I would have thought to do it. So that was, that was interesting. Again, we've already sort of talked about the, the idea that, you know, Kate was really hysterical and, you know, again, I didn't really, I didn't really connect to the way that she was behaving. I thought that Randall behaved in the way that I thought, 
you might, you know, you you would be scared, but you would listen and you would do what, whatever you were told to do. You know, right. you'd be like sort of on point. I thought that all of his military training came out shining with how he was like lowering down with that sort of harness. Mm-hmm. I would never have thought to do that. I would have totally made like a like a rope ladder a la gym class and like everyone's like shimmy down slash just sort of like slide down the thing. But the way that he like wrapped him around that, I don't know how to do that. I didn't know how to make like a little little noose around your your torso. It's like a sling. I didn't know how to do. Did you do that? I didn't know how to do that. No, I, w- I don't think I'd have the presence of mind to come up with like a MacGyver type situation. It, military training. I think it's 100% military training. That's what it looked like to me. Like he had done this before in some way. And I do think that that's going to come back up. You, you were going to see a sling. We're going to see a man in a sling. Yeah. I think in Vietnam, we will absolutely see something because he exits helicopters. Like he jumps out the side of helicopters. Yeah, I absolutely think there'll be some sort of rescue attempt of some sort. And yeah, I do. Now, a lot of people thought that like a PTSD situation was going to come into play. That did not happen at all with any of this that I saw. I don't know what was going through his head. And I wonder if we're going to get any of that. I do think it would be not a surprise to me to get Jack's death from Jack's point of view. It wouldn't be crazy to me if even in the next one, there was some splicing in of something about Jack. I mean, he's in the rest of the whole series. So there is going to be more Jack for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think you get away from Milo in this because he's I mean, the character is just too undeniable at this point. Okay, so we've already talked about the fact that like there's no way in hell I would let you go back in and get that dog. Um, but he does. We're how did you feel about the whole time? I mean, he was in there like a really long time it felt like. A lot of people are kind of screaming this was super unrealistic. Like once that the master bedroom went up in flames and we all saw the stairwell, how? 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 I mean, if his hand got burnt up that bad, second degree burns Going just through that one little hallway section, how did he get the necklace and a pillowcase, videotapes, the dog, the photo album? How? Because we know that those things were underneath the TV um, downstairs, and the stairs were swallowed up by fire, and the mattress he had used was also swallowed up by fire. So it's not like he could like lay on that. Or lay that down and then run it, run down it or something like that. Maybe. I mean, maybe. There'd be he, no place to go. Maybe he went and got the box spring and tried to do it. I don't know. But it all just seems like, I mean, like I said, a lot of people are sort of being like, well, I'm just going to take that with a grain of salt. And a lot of people who were like EMTs and first responders were like, uh. <laughs> like, I mean, really, like your hair and just the heat. That it would have been putting off, you yeah. know, you wouldn't even have to have been like engulfed in flames, but just the fact that it was all over the place would have been very difficult to get out of for the sake of the show and everything. Of course, I'm glad that they didn't have him come out with his face all mangled up or something horrific, you know, I mean, that would have all been awful. So, I mean, they sort of maintained a very... um how do I want to say, uh, like very leading man hero scenario, mm. which again makes me wonder if it's totally a truthful accounting of the event. He didn't even ride in the ambulance. Like the whole thing was like, wow. I mean, I, wow. It might, his particular problem, the EMTs might not have had the equipment or the experience or the knowledge to be able to detect out in the field. You know what I mean? 
I agree with you. I mean, certainly not the heart attack. Certainly not. But it would seem like they would have kept him on oxygen to take him to the hospital. And plus, like when he was talking to the doctor and you've, you pointed this out to me and I, and I saw it when it happened, when Rebecca leaves the room and he kind of just, you know, slumps his shoulders. Like it kind of told me like he had been uh, not putting on an act, more like getting himself up, you know, like to be Jack Pearson. And when no one was looking, he could be, oh, geez, God, that took a lot of effort. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, of course, of course, of course, this would be exhausting. All your adrenaline would be like depleted by this point. You know, I mean, I can't even imagine the like sort of hangover effect of of that part. But I really think that he was physically going through stuff that whole time. Like you know? already compromised? Yes. I really do. I really, based on everything that I read about like what the symptoms would have been to start ramping to a Widowmaker heart attack. Yes, I do think that he would have been having a lot of discomfort, a lot of problems going on, you know, internally that, I mean, you would, you could chalk up to, well, I was just in this very strenuous thing, you know, I, you know, I can't breathe very well. I'm not. Well, chances are you, you, I mean, if, if he was having something, it wasn't, probably as bad as what he died from it's just like the smoke and all the and the exertion was was enough to you know exacerbate it into something well what i'm saying is that the actual symptoms say you were not in a fire at all the symptoms before a widowmaker heart attack is fatigue it is like the same symptoms you see what i'm saying like so they were sort of hidden because you could say well of course he'd be tired he just ran out of the thing but that's also the symptom of see it kind of got masked because I think of the fire. So maybe, maybe had the fire not happened and he was experiencing these symptoms, it would have alarmed someone. But because it was, there was a smoke screen, if you will, they chalked it up to what was going on with the fire and didn't investigate mm-hmm. that it would have been something different. You see what I'm saying? If we're ever in a fire, investigate. <laughs> oh, give me a, a complete once over. Well, but it would have made sense. I mean, like he said, smoke inhalation, you know, would would take a lot out of your body and take, you know, put a strain on your lungs, put a strain on your heart. So they weren't even looking necessarily for it to have been heart condition. You know, mm-hmm. they were going from the other direction, you know. And so, you know, I don't they did have people are saying they didn't have enough monitors and stuff on. I, I kind of agree with that. There was a uh, he did have an oxygen thing on his finger which also w- was giving them the heart rate. So they he really just had the heart rate and his oxygen saturation. But they said that he had soot in his airways. So one would think you'd have an oxygen mask on. Yeah. You know, that, I that think so. seems like kind of like a bare men, you know, just go ahead and pop that on. You know, it just seems like it would help. Wouldn't take any pain meds. We appreciate all that. That really div- uncomfortable conversation about the dog with the doctor. Yeah, the man wouldn't give it up. He wouldn't. The doctor was like, well, I hope it was a manly dog. And finally, Jack has to go, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> like, it was like, oh, my God, dude. Like, this is a sore subject, you know? Turns out you're a shitty doctor and a shitty uh, conversationalist. He's Mr. Noodle, so what do you expect, Paul? I don't think Mr. Noodle even talks. No, he's not a there speaking you go. role. There it's you a go. dancing role. Check it out on, on Elmo's World. If you're not familiar with Mr. Noodle, check it out. That's our doctor, Dr. Noodle. So, all right. So then we have this, what turns out to be the last conversation between Jack and Rebecca. And it starts off with the batteries and, you know, he's apologizing for not getting the batteries. I kind of thought it was, um, even though I know Jack is jokey, I never really saw him take what I'm going to call 
sort of a cheap shot to make a joke. And going back and forth and her saying, no, I could have gotten the, the batteries myself. And him say, well, then why were you nagging me to do it? It, it didn't just, seem very mm, jack to me. I don't know. Uh, he's, he's also, you know, Pilgrim Rick. I mean, he, 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 does, he does joke around with her. He does. He does joke around with her. Pilgrim Rick's a whole different thing. But the kind of thing of like sort of turning and being like, well, then why didn't you handle it? It's like, that's like, a, ooh. And she made a face. She was like, you know, she didn't, she didn't immediately be like, ha, 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 Pilgrim Rick. I mean, she was like, ah, uh, that was kind of off, you know? So I don't know. I just kind of wonder if he was already sort of, I'm sure he was very uncomfortable. I mean, I'm sure what was going on. And so there was some stuff sort of going on there. I thought that the part when, you know, she gets up and you know they have their back and forth. I mean, of course, he's still jokey. He's still Jack. He's still very lovable. We're all on board. But when he's like Rebecca and she like turns around and there's like kind of that little strange pause. What do you think? I mean, was he always going to say you're walking in front of the TV? I, I'm not going to make any conjecture about what he was going to say, but it did seem like there was another comment because it took too long for him to say you're in front of the TV. I mean, it's funny because it's the Super Bowl. He loves football. She's in front of the TV. I get it. But there was a pause there and, he, and his mouth kind of moved around a little bit before he said, yeah, like he was like, you're in front of the TV. Thinking of something. I have a kind of a secondary question. Why would they have been in bed? If they hadn't finished watching the Super Bowl? Might have been watching highlights or something on the TV. He said, we didn't get to finish watching the game. Oh. But they were asleep in their beds. Well, Pittsburgh wasn't on. I don't know. But he's super into the Super Bowl. It's like the biggest day and he's like super into it. And why wouldn't they have finished watching the game? They brought up Dr. K again with the sourest lemons that life has to offer. And that is really when Jack decides to like hang his head. And, you know, sort of just be like, part of it could just be a defeated Jack. I mean, he built that house. This was everything that they had and it's all gone, you know, and, and now what? What did you think about the fact that Rebecca went to go make the phone calls and all of this stuff transpired in such a short period of time? I don't know how heart attacks work and all that. But you could hear the alarms and the and the activity behind her when she was doing all that and then for him to completely die like no hope of re resuscitation it's over we need to sign the paperwork in the amount of time that it takes to to select and buy a candy bar seems a little like you guys gave up pretty quickly on Jack here, I mean, I understand they said catastrophic would make her. I mean, I know that there are ways that you can have a heart attack that your heart is done. You cannot survive. When your research did, did the Widowmaker heart heart attack fit into that kind of category, like John Ritter's heart attack? I mean, that that was like a he was he was dead. It was it was. And I think sad. Alan Thicke died the same way, where it was just like John Ritter had a dissected heart. It was like it just came apart. And I think that that's what, that's the deal. Like that. And I mean, in the, in the case of the Widowmaker, it's a clogged, a hundred percent clogged artery. So it's just, just sort of ends. So what, uh, Time Magazine did a little bit of research for us. And basically, um, what they had found was that, you know, was this accurately portrayed? And so what they said was that, um, it refers to a heart attack. They usually aren't talking about any kind of damage having to do with smoke inhalation, um, it all it really it has to do with the blockage in the left anterior descendant artery, and it's the largest of the three arteries providing blood to the heart. So that's the widowmaker artery there. And I mean, plaque has a situation, and and you know the the blockage. I mean, that happens over a period of time. That's not something that happens 
you know, in a minute. It, it has to do with like a bad diet and it does have to do with like smoking and alcohol and stuff like that can absolutely, you know, cause a situation. They said that, you know, it is possible that a sudden stressful event can contribute to a heart attack and certainly something like, you know, running back in it and, and the, the stress of on his lungs and his heart, all of that is going to do it. And smoke inhalation would decrease the oxygen. So your heart would have to be working harder. So in that case, that would be a huge situation. Um, so again, like we were talking about the signs of the heart attack, that would include arm and chest pain, sweating, that nauseous indigestion, all those kinds of things. Um, but they said in most cases, however, in a, in a cardiac arrest that you would lose consciousness and it happens like really quickly. Hmm. The survival rate for it is low. And that's like a big part of it is only about 12% of people who experience cardiac arrest out of the hospital and 25% even in the hospital live through it. So, I mean, you know, chances are he would not. So one way they're saying that this is us may not have, have been really accurate in, in portraying the, the events is that they would attempt resuscitation with a defibrillator. There would be, you know, a lot of stuff going on. And it certainly would have been a lot longer trying to re restart his heart than the couple of minutes that Rebecca was out of the room making the phone calls. And so, you know, in that case, they do say, you know, when someone goes, this is the quote, when someone goes into cardiac arrest in the hospital, we shock the patient, we do CPR, and all of this goes on for 40 minutes or longer. Everyone jumps in, nobody gives up quickly. So what I mean, was you would this have, candy machine? My It was God. close enough that it was just right around the corner. But that, I, I mean, Time Magazine is saying that the, that part is not, he's like, this is an hour long show. You know, and so it didn't happen that way. But, you know, I don't know if they should have taken that into account and had her have to go do something else. Like, I need to, maybe she should have had to go get the kids or had to go do something outside the hospital or do something, you know, maybe to give it a little bit more of a realistic timeline. Because, I mean, it was so short. And like all of us would say, like, I mean, I would have gone over to you and been like pounding on you. You know, but um, if you guys notice too, the candy bar she chose out of the machine was B3. So like big three was like the numbers and letters she pushed. I mean, that whole next portion of the doctor walking over to her and already be ready to give her the news. I mean, the timing of it all made the absurdity of the situation like glaring, you know, like she just walked out and you're already here like delivering this news. Well, I don't know about absurdity, but unbelievability. Like it's absurd to me. I mean, she acted absurd. She started to eat her candy bar and was like, get out of here. I mean, it was absurd. It was just absurd. This couldn't possibly have happened in the period of time that I was gone. Yeah. I'm like, we agree. And Time Magazine agrees. No, it wouldn't have. You know, like it couldn't have happened that quick. It just wouldn't have. So right as though that whole situation is going on with the code blue, there was a moment when she was getting her candy bar out and there was like this quiet little Beck call out and she kind of turns and then she reaches and gets the candy bar. And then the doctor's there like one second later. Milo says that is his recorded voice. They did record him saying Beck. Is that like when his soul's leaving his body? Like what, what is that? For the doctor to be right there. I don't know. Yeah, it would it's, have to be because he wouldn't still be talking if the doctor oh, was no. on yeah, his no, way. No, it's not. It's not. I do not believe. He said it was supposed to be like an ethereal sounding voice. So. Yeah. Well, the uh, teletypist for the um, closed caption just typed up ma'am ma'am yeah because yeah. that was the best they could figure it so it does sound not distorted just distant 
Do you recall the episode where Toby uh, goes down? He he hits the table. This is uh, Christmas, was it? Or Thanksgiving? Christmas. Christmas. He has the Santa hat on. Yes, I do. Okay. Was that a heart attack or, or was that just like a heart episode where he needed a bypass? Um, You know, I think that they do call it a heart attack. Interesting. Do you remember Kate's demeanor? Free, very, very upset, obviously, and stuff. But I don't remember her being like, oh, my God, this is what my dad died of or anything like that. The, the only thing that I feel like that I can point to is that both the men, both Randall and Kevin, are very physically fit and run a lot. Hmm. And that might indicate, you know, a father who died young and, you know, maybe with a heart problem. You know, they, they're very healthy and they take care of themselves very much. Now, I know that that's like juxtaposed to Kate, but at the same time, I feel like they could be thinking that it's a hereditary kind of situation sure. for the men. So, yeah, I was just thinking about that. Just that, wait a second, Kate's had this. I like that you're bringing that up. It's a good connection. And it, you know what I would say about those two men? They both have very big hearts, like very figuratively speaking, you know, and, yeah. and, and she compares them a lot about their ability to love and so patient and so kind and everything. And I was really thinking about the and that whole concept and how basically Jack was everything he was to us because of his heart. And was taken away from us because of his heart. That's sad irony. But if you think about it, it's like every choice that he made, even down to like going in and getting all those things because he's so nostalgic, because he has a big heart, you know, it's like, and then you hurt your heart, you know, it's like, oh my God, it's so much, so much. So a little tidbit that, that you may not have known was that when Mandy Moore goes in to, um, to sort of have her like final moment in Jack's room like she's kind of stalking away from the doctor and is like Jack Jack you know listen to this this is crazy she thought that Milo had gone for the day she thought that she was just walking into an empty room like they had already filmed all their scenes together and so when she walks in and she has that startled look that's genuine that's not acting that she was shocked and they did that so that they that was the first take and that's the take that they used and you know the fact that there was a reflection in the in the glass so they didn't actually show us his dead body but it was just sort of like a kind of a if you kind of think of almost like a ghostly see-through version of him is like in the glass next to her you know i love those kinds of stories about the filmmakers doing stuff to get true reactions out of the actors it reminds me of the exorcist remember that movie the director of that william friedkin did a couple of weird things including he shot a gun on set while they were shooting he was like Bam! And Just everyone's to get like, like a ah! startle kind of look <laughs> yeah. out of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's fascinating to know those behind the scene production moves that they do like that. And I do feel like this has not been the only one that's happened in This Is Us. It's not coming in at the top of my brain right now, but I don't feel like it's the only one. And I think that those are the types of things when they're really looking for that sincerity to come across to us. Not that these actors are not capable, but I still think that there's something to that moment when she is so startled to see him laying there that feels so real. Now, there's been a lot of criticism of Mandy Moore online. I they don't think that's fair. Well, so part of my whole thing about that is that people are sort of criticizing different parts of it. So the portion when she's like over with the candy bar and she's not really taking him seriously at all, 
To me, it's like, how could you take him seriously? Why would you not think that this was just a mistake? Like you just came in to fix up his hands. You know, this is not something that you would think that would could ever happen. And if it did happen and you had a heart attack, my God, you would think, but he's right in the hospital bed. Like you guys were literally feet from him. Surely you could save him. If I was her, I'd think not nearly enough time has passed. Like I said a couple minutes ago, for you to have tried anything to save his goddamn life, you know? It really feels weird like that. I know. So I don't know. So what did you feel about her, both the, re- the response right then? And then, like, let's talk about her response when she has to go tell Miguel. So let's talk about those two parts. I thought falling apart in the hospital uh, against the door and saying Jack's name and crying. I mean, I I bought all that. I think that's what that would look like for for most people. I really liked how they did those cut-ins with, like, the flash to him being super young, like, no facial hair. Like it was probably one of the very first times she ever saw him and he's like smiling at her. And then there's like the flash to the three babies and flash to Pilgrim Rick and interspersed. We have her like having to do the paperwork, you know, for his death. And you have her like getting his personal items in a Ziploc bag. And, you know, here she is. She came in with Jack and they're just kind of talking and, you know, comforting each other. And she's walking down that hallway all alone with just a Ziploc bag of like his sum total of his life in this Ziploc bag. Yep. Hospitals. I mean, we've had our own experience in a hospital where we went in thinking one thing and everything changed after that, you know? And it was sort of the same sort of thing where the first time I had to leave you. Oh, that's true. It was like, you know, having to go back to the house before we had any kids. So go back to the house empty. It didn't, I I mean, I didn't leave for like a couple of days, but eventually I did go back home and there were, I mean, there was nothing there. Wow. So you have a very unique experience in that. So I went into preterm labor very, very, very early with our twins and we didn't know we went in at night. We just kind of expected that they would, you know, I don't know, give me some medicine. some doctor shit. Yeah. Like (laughs) we didn't really know. So when they told me to put on like the hospital gown and hop in the bed, we didn't know that like, and I would never get up until the kids were born, you know? And so you're right. I never thought about that. What did it feel like to have come in with me? And again, we're comforting each other and kind of chatting and whatever. And then walking out of there alone, probably with my my bag of clothes. Surreal. I mean, it was um, uh, like you just described. We went in thinking that they would wave some medical wand and medicate you or give you give you some directions about rest or something like that. But, you know, like you just said, when they had you lay in the hospital bed, I said, so when are we going home? And the nurse said, not until after she has these kids. And, you know, that's when our worlds just imploded. I stayed for a couple of days and your parents came pretty, pretty right away. Your sister came pretty, pretty right away. And then uh, eventually I I got to go home. I mean, my, my boss was understanding, but he was also like, but you can't stay there. (laughs) Right. Indefinitely. (laughs) Right. So what did it feel like? You like walked out of that hospital and you walked into an empty house. You know, I'm almost thinking that your parents drove me home. I couldn't swear to it, but I think, remember we left your car in the, um. Yeah. Stupidly. Because then the the fucking. Get get this, you guys. So I am obviously, I'm a patient at the hospital. The valet steals my debit card out of the car while. I am up in there for weeks. So the whole entire time for weeks, 
the valet is using my debit card at the Walgreens across the street from the hospital like a super brainiac. And I have to figure it out after we have babies. Now we have preterm 23 week preemie twins in the NICU. And I have to figure out that they've charged thousands of dollars on our fucking bank account. Like how amazing of an experience is that? The bank made it right, but they did. But the extra stress made me murderous. Oh my God. And me having to be like, I promise you it wasn't me. Like I could definitely tell you where I was. I didn't get no $800 of Walgreens. Exactly. Exactly. But so then you did eventually walk into an empty house. I did. Big bed, noisy dogs, but just me. Yeah, it was um, lonely and weird. And I mean, I don't have a lot of firm memories about the time because I think I didn't want to remember it. It was just floating between times of getting back to the hospital, you know? So you're my best person for saying like how Mandy Moore would feel to have to like get out and walk out. And and even maybe you'd be a very good uh, person for like, because you had to come back. You couldn't be crying and stuff around me in the in the hospital room. Like I was still trying to hang on to this whole situation. So if you were going to shed tears and stuff, it was sort of like the conversation she had with Miguel. Like if you're going to have a problem, you need to step out of here because nobody's coming in this situation and and crying. Like we have to be strong for for her. And, you know, that's basically what it was like. You know, There's definitely me. a time and a place for... Uh, raised emotions during an emergency. It's usually like well after. During the middle of it though, and I'm capable of this, the, I can shut them off, you know, just go blank. It's not always the most helpful thing in the world, but I can still do it. And that's a lot what I was like away from you was just like drone Paul reporting <laughs> for duty, you know? Right. And, but definitely when you came in, like, I don't remember you ever crying or anything in the room with me. No, no. So you definitely like kept that away, which is basically the entire conversation she has with Miguel is like, we have to be strong for other people. We can't be acting like that. Um, so she goes in there and she asks Allison to leave and she has this silent conversation. Do you think that we're going to ever see any kind of flash to what that conversation looked like between her and the kids? I don't think it's important that we do. I mean, here's my only comment that I am a little bit curious about. Randall makes that comment when we come back, uh, or when he's dealing with, uh, William's care and telling him, you know, everything about, um, you know, you're not going to die alone without someone watching that kind of stuff. How does he know that? Like, how does he know that Jack died without someone watching? You know, how does he know how that went down? And that makes me wonder if what she told them and if she maybe told them in layers, like maybe that night she just said, dad had a heart attack, passed away, and that's it. But maybe over time, since we do know from different flashes with the therapy session, like that Randall sticks around and stays with Rebecca when Kate and Kevin leave, then maybe they had more conversations about what that night was like and what mm -hmm. actually happened. Um, and so I kind of wonder if if this information gets told to the kids in sort of that layered effect, because I kind of think that's what we would do with our own kids. Right. Our kids. Any any anyone we have to tell something to over a period of time, we kind of give them like that. That first, like, this is what you need to yeah, know. Yeah, we give them the, pu the publicity pass. Right. And know? then you kind of like fill in the. Then the yeah, other layers the details of the cake, right? are, 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 are need to know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what did you feel overall about how the producers and the creator and everybody said 
this is just, you're not even going to be able to breathe during the six minutes of the fire. And this is just going to be soul crushing and all these things. Did you feel like they hyped it too much? Did it make it feel like there's no way they can live up to this? I think they um, largely did live up to what they advertised and they kept it within the spirit of the show, which is not to fulfill some sort of fantastical bullshit where Jack jumps off the house, but runs into the street and gets hit by a car because of the dog. You know, that's not in the character of the show. It is more, more about real life. And in real life, stupid shit happens like you die alone because your wife's getting a candy bar you know it's you know just what bothers me just in just in what you were just saying because it was just making me think about that it's an ordinary death right it's not this fantastical thing that really bothers me um so, i think it's meant to bother you well but when william dies he says what matters is who's with you at the beginning and who's with you at the end and jack was alone and that makes me like really feel weird because William kind of put like a fine point on that. Like your whole life is defined by who's with you when you're born and who's with you when you died. And he says I that then I think my life was pretty great because he had this loving mother and he had a loving son. They bookended his life. But Jack was alone. Jack is not the sort of guy that would hold it against anybody. I don't think. I mean, he didn't plan on dying right then either, <laughs> he, yeah, you know? of course. I just wonder what that means, you know, because well, William was our other dad, you know, in this sitch. We've got this, like, parallel kind of sitch. So I just wonder, what does it mean, and, and, and how, does it, how does that affect everybody, you know? I know. Like, I since know. I've been watching the first season again, that part when it's his birthday, and he's like, I would just trade for more time with my kids. I mean, that's obviously we already know that he's going to die by, by the time he says that. So it has some poignancy in the moment just because of that. But it's little bits like that, that, that kind of echo when you, when you hear the part where he, he dies alone, you know, cause all that mattered to him was like being surrounded by family and his kids and his wife. Yeah. It is, it is, it is the gut punch that they advertised. Well, and the other, the other father that we saw at least close to death was Jack's own father. And Jack chose not to go. Mm. The, the nursing home calls, Manny Moore calls, and he's like, I'm not going. So we never saw his father actually pass, but we could maybe guess that his father passed alone. Uh, for sure by this time. Uh, but yes, I would guess so. I mean, he's he was probably in like a VA or, or something. He was like, like in that. a nursing home. but and, and, you know, Rebecca went and visited, but um, but she leaves and and you know, Jack had no intention of going up there. So I just wonder a little bit if there's like, you know, again, there's like a cycle to things, which means that I hope that that would mean that Randall would pass with his children wrapped around him, you know, looking at all the faces of the people he loved that stuff, because that's how William went, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, but then you have Jack. So really Randall could go like either way. Right. I don't know. It's super interesting. So what do you think this this next? Well, first of all, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? Like, did they do his death justice? Did they do it right by going like a whole season and a half? And maybe season and three quarters. Did they do this all right? Did, did they do it? I think if they're allowed to expand the show that the way that they're teasing us with the, tonight's episode or last night's episode, um, Jack's death will be pivotal, but it it will just be one more kind of huge event in this family. On the painting, right? One more sh 
brush stroke one, on the right, painting, one right? More, one more streak on, on the painting, one more layer. It'll be an important layer. Everyone will notice it, but it won't be the only one, you know? So I think they I think they accomplished what they set out to do. You know what that a little bit reminds me of? You know, at your Vaughn family reunion, um, how they do that handprints thing at their reunion, like everyone paints their handprint and they put it on that big banner thing. Yeah. That's kind of like your family's version of of the you make a, a mark on the on the larger family canvas. And that family is back generationally. Like when we're there, we're there as great grandchildren what are we? to the actual generation that they're reuniting yeah, yeah it's your your, like, your grandfather's father right yeah we're like seventh generation or something or i don't remember the exact number so but. like yeah so then I, I just think that it's like um you know i think that that's amazing that your family does actually chronicle that in that way and it and it is absolutely celebrated you know all the different layers and and there's a lot of of remembering and um, and not a bad way, like celebrating, I guess, is a better way to say it. And they certainly don't avoid it or act like it didn't happen. It's quite the opposite. You know, it's like, let's talk about everybody and all their their glory, you know? Yeah. Well, let's let's wrap up with um, what you want to see tomorrow night. Well, OK, so I, I we do have one more nug that we didn't really talk about, which was the fact that Deja showed back up in this episode. And, um, you know, granted, the episode she showed up in originally was Deja Vu. So we absolutely predicted that she would be making her way back. That mom was not going to keep her shit together. Come on. I wonder what's going on, though, because, I mean, she came back on her own. She didn't come back with a social worker. So then it makes me wonder what's going on exactly, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, her mom may not be keeping it together. But then in that case, would she be back in the social workers, you know, hands. But it did make me wonder, like, what exactly is this about? And do we want Deja to come back into the scene? And and is this like something that we need to work through with her again? Or what what do we think? I mean, I was kind of excited about that little boy coming into the scene. I really kind of wanted to see uh, a little boy with with Randall and Beth and the girls and stuff like I was excited to sort of have that dynamic, you know, and even Rebecca, like how fun it would be to see her with a little boy that would remind her of Randall. That's not meant to be, unfortunately. I mean, they fooled me. They got me on that one. But uh, but it's just <clears throat> such a different story than the Deja story. And when we've we've yeah, but, explored I mean, there's, so much of it. I mean, you could pull in some pretty tragic shit keeping track of Deja and her mom weaving in and out of their lives and stuff like that. It's, but to what end? Like, what are we doing? What What is the, you know, so many we're extending of the, the story. The story is going to go for some period of time, you know, 20 years at least beyond the, the current timeline, you know? So, yeah, you gotta, I mean, at this point, with the exception of Deja, everyone else is like in a very good place, yeah. <laughs> you know? They had a Super Bowl day and Kevin and mom are talking and Kate and Toby are smiling and got their cloud fix and all that kind of stuff. So, and she finally told the story, so then they can move forward with their wedding plans. So, like the modern day timeline is is at a good place, which is dramatically like not that interesting for for TV. So something's well, got to start. Be 
I churning think the, the pot again. Sorry, I'm, I apologize. I think it will be exciting, though, because we we last season, there was a lot of happy, you know, meeting Toby and dating and stuff was exciting. And, you know, uh, Randall meeting William and stuff was exciting, you know, learning about him and stuff. So I think that it doesn't have to be tragic to be interesting. And I feel like that this whole part, they said there's going to be bachelor party, bachelorette party. There'll be a big wedding. I got to think that their wedding is the finale. Mm. of this season so that'd we, be nice we only have what it would be nice because this has been a, a well, rough rough go this season has been characterized by just a, a dark tone that uh like you mentioned people didn't fall in love with in the first season that you know so they felt a little you know they still love the show but they felt a little bait and switch on on season two yeah you definitely could so i think that that'll be exciting and i know that they said that they're going to bring in something i don't know how to i, I don't want to phrase this ex- wrong but basically the concept of like sort of what if sequences so like the idea of seeing jack as an older man or as father of the bride in these like what if sequences sort of like that that sequence when he meets William. Um, yes. In, yes. Where Randall said, I had a dream and, 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 you know, William met dad and they were joking and laughing and telling about Randall's first drive. Yes. It, precisely that. So those types of things, they said that, you know, they're going to be able to have sort of Jack be in these scenarios that he really could never be in, you know? So that should be interesting. I think, uh, what are you expecting for this next episode? I'm going to stand by my my prediction that it's going to be a little dreamier than normal. Um, I think there's, I think this is going to be uh, the bulk of the funeral. So, you know, the pace is going to be slow. Uh, they're going to give the characters time to, to show us some some emotion and and it may just have um if i shot it it would be like either surreal and and dreamy like or but i've seen some of the pictures and the pictures look more like contrasty and stark you know what i mean i do agree that like in the actual reality parts like when they're standing at the memorial you're right stark is a good word it looks very cold and just very, you know, just sad, the whole somber mood. However, I think that that they've got to have a quadrillion flashbacks that are going to happen during it where, I mean, that is natural. I mean, that's what everyone does at a memorial, right? You think about the good times, you think about, you know, some stuff you did with the person or whatever, you know? And so naturally you would, even if this show wasn't about that, this episode would, you know, have yeah. something to do with it. So I think it's going to be great. From what I understand, they said that this one is even sadder than the than the one that Jack died. And I have to think that that is going to be because it's one thing for these people to have received the news and even for us to have seen Jack die. But now we have to actually be with them grieving, which is a different part of the process. Oh, yeah. I mean, funerals are always the worst part of the the dying part i think it's it's uh, my own mom has actually said she doesn't want us to have any kind of funeral or service for her because she thinks that that part for the loved ones is the part that like rips your heart out like it's one thing to have the person be gone and it is a shock but the part where you have all the people coming and all the people like having to go through the ritual of it um is she feels like is is excruciating that's the part that just really tears you down what do you think? Memorial for you? Oh, yeah. Full on? Yeah. Rent Bad out pipes. the Astrodome, man. 
Well, that would be exciting. We'd have to break in because it's, you know, condemned and whatnot, but okay. So please don't make that actually be in, in any kind of your wishes. I don't really want to. All right, Bust off, in off there. the change, the VHS will. Please, good lordy. Well, I very much look forward to, it's already Tuesday night, so it's already going to be in just like 24 hours. We will have already seen this next episode. Do you appreciate the timing of how they did this? It was really awesome that NBC had the Super Bowl this year. I'm sure they jumped at being able to make that association and make it all work. So, yeah, it. Um, it's just really cool that they were able to do that it's kind of rare you know that a show can kind of tie into real life timelines and stuff like that and and kind of be relevant so and they were super neat about the special effects in that they were able to several times show the tv screen and have the real super bowl that we all had just watched be playing on the screens that the actors were watching that's pretty crazy right that's pretty uh tight um special effects work that's uh, i love it right it's yeah. really really cool i also thought that the idea of having the memorial like two days later actually showing it two days later feels right on in the timeline like that's probably when his memorial would be and so it feels like we've been with the pearsons this whole time you know like we've all just had this one rest day and it's already tomorrow. The memorial's already tomorrow, Paul. I'm not ready. I don't have a dress. I'm freaking out. You know, it feels like it's happening fast there and furious. There may be some time passed and and showtime. I think it's only gonna be a couple of days. That's what I that's what I predict. Because, you know, I know that that Kevin has his cast off, so it might be, you know, like we said, several days, but I don't think it's going to be a crazy amount of time. I don't think. Can't wait to find out. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks a lot. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.